Hello, Burlock. Hello, Grumsworth. And hello to all you, our lovely listeners. To this, the preamble, your every so often digest of everything Obby. Exactly right. And um, this uh, this week, we're going to be bringing you a look at what sort of hobby we've been scavenging our way through. Um, a dive into the realm of the dip. Uh, and a look at some eerie fish. And um, talking of eerie, Grumsworth, how's the world been treating you? <laughs> What's your hobby agenda been of late? So this week has seen me scattered, scattered to the winds. My focus has been it's dreadful, Burlock, oh, awful, right? But there have been some, there have been some good moments, actually. Three individually small pieces of amazing hobby I've crafted this week. All very different, although connected loosely by a theme. All right, so I finished the heavy weapons guy uh, from my Cauldor game, the Knights of Doghead. I'm getting tired of saying their name on this podcast, to be honest, Burlock. The Knights of Doghead. They should be done by now. They should be done by now. But they're getting there. There's three more to do. Those three, the leader, two gangers, they're in sort of half-finished states. Yeah, if my name's not Grumsworth, I'll have them finished. And for all you guys to view on the next podcast, that is a solid gold Grumsworth promise. I look forward to it. But the heavy weapons guy, he's now done. I'm calling him James Root. He looks like one of the guitarists from Slipknot. He's got exactly the same mask. He's tall and rangy. I think you can see by the pictures, there's some similarities there. I am really pleased the way this guy came out, actually. Uh, it was a struggle because initially he, he was equipped in our fated heavy flamer. Uh, but that's out the window now. That's sitting on a weapons rack, just waiting to be picked up. Someone will have it. But I think he's come together well. The colour scheme has continued on as it has done from the previous members of the warband. He's got a little bit more work done on the rusting of his metal mm. because that crossbow, that's got a lot of metal on it. So there were some, there were some additional sort of stages of weathering, I suppose, some rust added that it added a couple more hours onto him in truth. Although some of those hours me spent staring at it and thinking, do I do a new rust effect here? No, you yeah. don't. Stick to your formula that you've already got locked in. <laughs> you carry on doing what you were doing. You try, like... try and change direction at this point. There, that way be dragons. <laughs> well, I found the dragons because my focus <laughs> wandered. So I'm really happy with this guy. He's come out really decent. He fits in really nicely with the rest of them. Moving on to the next bit. So I've been working with a little group of um, fellow gamers to put together a board for our Necromunda. We got this nice kind of a, we wanted a really interchangeable board. It's cut into four sections. We've used some MDF to base it on. Then we've got some big old chunks of uh, a nice kind of quite stiff foam that we've then mounted some lovely plastic Necromunda style tiles on the top of, courtesy okay. of GW. Of course, yeah. We'll throw up some pictures here. Okay. So, so we've got some cutouts. These these tiles are actually just complete squares. We've mm. now cut chunks out of them, delved into the foam. We've thrown some filler on the very bottom there. A bit of texturing. We're mm. going to make some swampy or concrete areas down there. It essentially allows us to have a basement level on the board. So we've got the regular playing surface. We've got a little area down below and then when we stack the terrain on so we'll have mm. kind of three three floors which is what you want for a necromunda game 
can't work any better. <laughs> Perfect, isn't it? Mm. It also allows us to get it on a fairly small size table, but actually have a lot of playing space, which mm. is really cool. So we got a little bit of that done. We got our hands grubby with some um, some nice cheap filler. Uh, and yes. we did some sticking. We threw some PVA around. So that was a nice little hobby day also. <laughs> and over the coming weeks, hopefully we'll get some paint on it and some other bits and pieces. So I'll, I'll bring up some pictures of the work in progress as it comes together. I expect to see but... uh, very swift progress on this one. Yeah. Oh, hell, you are a harsh <laughs> taskmaster, though. I don't... <laughs> this is probably why my focus has been so diffuse playing a bit of fallout 76 one of the elements that i'm really into about it is the building of your player character's camp yeah you've got like kind of lots of structures you can build floors walls i've seen people essentially build sort of mini towns out of this thing very plush kind of living spaces decorated with loads of cool appliances pretty wallpapers wonderful high-tech lighting some really stylish looking things and these bases are what are they out in the open world are they or uh, they are yeah. i haven't delved much into the base building section i've played fallout 76 but i've not mm -hmm. really built much of a base i've set my basic mechanical camp up yeah that's about as far as i've got with it so it, is it set out in the open world or is it a more sort of secluded part of the game where no other players can get to you and stuff like that or so you can park your camp anywhere in this huge kind of almost sandboxy world mm. uh, the region itself somewhere in america there it's known as appalachia i've sort of gone down a different route with my camp build um my character he doesn't biff doesn't want a mansion so he, that's my character's name he um he's the guy who spawned the paint scheme for my knights of doghead yes. they are dressed yep you mentioned that before i remember now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are dressed like biff the Necromunda terrain that we've been making is the sort of place Biff would lurk. So there is that also. But Biff's real home is in a tiny corner of this sandbox world. I found a very, very small bridge, barely a bridge at all. It's more like two alleys cut into a small hill, which a, uh, which a train track goes over. Okay. Sounds quite idyllic, actually. It's quite nice. <laughs> it would be quite idyllic until Biff moved in there. Oh, okay. Right, because Biff is kind of a uh, uh, a sack hooded, grubby, backwards, mutated cannibal who right. prefers to spend his days living quietly on his own, catching prey outside of his lair. We're not talking. Like a... We're not talking squirrels and dogs here, are we? <laughs> no, we're talking. We're talking humans or oh, beasts or I mean any meat that walks his way. Oh, okay. Probably fair game, really. Human or otherwise. <laughs> Human or otherwise, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So Biff kind of, at the moment, he's been living a fairly rudimentary existence under this bridge, um, popping out like a trapdoor spider every now and then to <laughs> snag a bit of prey. He was, he was sleeping on a little bag under a tunnel, and I had this lovely building kit, which is supplied with the, with the game there, uh, which allows you to create all these wonderful structures. So I thought, hmm, what... Where, what would Biff do if he could build himself a little house? The answer is to build himself, in real terms, it might be a sort of 10 foot by 10 foot square, hidden away in the dark under this tiny little bridge, wedged into it like. Okay. Um, he, he's dragged a couple of dirty old sofas in there, grubby bed, 
Um, there's some sort of trophies made out of bone and bits of people. Um, there's a picture of a cat on one of the walls, quite soiled and stuff, but you know. Mm. Well, it's just something that he scavenged up. He thought he, oh. he liked he liked the look of it, you know. Something about it brings him joy. Uh, he's got some candles in there and stuff, and he's got a couple of kind of rickety doors to keep the wind out. And this is all for the purposes of sort of the immersion of you inside this world, isn't it? You know, your it character. Is, it, is, it builds on the, um, the role play element to an extent, does it? Or very strongly, mm. yeah, yeah. Which is why I think it's important. Well, it was important for me, and it was important for me for about ten hours of my life this week. <sighs> that Biff live in a really appropriate dwelling. Like I say, rather than a big, fancy-looking home, all glowing with beautiful lights, topiary hedges out the front, oh. machine guns out of every window, <laughs> sandbags, you know. Not for Biff. Simple, dark, dirty cabin, almost, strewn with rubbish and trophies, hidden under a bridge. What about yourself, Burlock? I see you swigging from that impressive leather tanker there. Yeah, this is this is from uh, from Bugman's. <laughs> this I was, might have this, known. This was actually a wedding present. Bugman's tankard. Very very strong work. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, so what we've uh, we've had is a uh, a trio of of hobby activities. Um, have all sort of fallen in line quite neatly. Um, mm -hmm. First one being um, the uh, the Eldar uh, miniatures that I've been painting with a dear friend of mine. Um, we've got some progress on that. We um, have, he's got uh, 12 striking scorpions in his wow. army. Um, yeah, the power armoured, well, not power armour as such, but as good as power armour, chain swords and shuriken pistol wielding aspect warriors. Um, Mandy blasters, is it? Mandy blasters there, yep, to, uh, to resemble mm. the pincers of a scorpion. Yeah, quite Beautiful. Th quite thematic. Nice figures mm. as well. These, one, these particular ones are resin. And um, we started getting some base, yeah. base colours on that. Yeah, we've um, we sprayed them up green to begin with, dry brushed them with a nice lighter shade of green, added a little bit of yellow to the mix, give it another dry brush over it, so it gave that kind of luminous, almost green highlight to it. Lovely. And then washed it right back down with some uh, turquoise contrast paint. Oh, I like that a lot. Mm. I could, yeah, very nice. At this stage, they look... Um, half done because they are half done um, they look somewhat shiny yet to be varnished with a good a good uh, healthy amount of testers dull coat no doubt the best um only the best uh, but only yes the best. once they're once they're all um done and ready um he'll be he'll be happy because we've got not just the unit of uh, dire avengers uh, from last week we've also Beautiful. begun work on this big old unit of striking scorpions so uh, once these are done we'll be actually be about halfway through his little force, so quite good, quite in, in, uh, inspiring yeah. for us to carry on and get on and get the rest of these bits done because they're coming together quite fast. Um, as I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again, um, this is just very, very basic, very, very simple work, um, but it's it gets the job done for what what my my friend wants uh, wants to yeah. achieve. Um, but yes, they're uh, they're looking nice, looking fairly neat. The black the weapons, as you yeah. can see, there are blacked out, uh, ready for a little bit of. Um, Inky Darkness. Round two of Hobby was um, some character creation for Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, um, was it now? Yes, it was. And um, you had the joy of being a part of it, didn't you? I'm afraid oh, so. Yes. I did. It was, it was a proper joy as well, as it always is with your character creation sessions. So we've got some characters that have been made up. Um, 
we've got a party of four. You're one of them. I'll be GMing for our little one shot, which we've got planned. Um, it's going to be good fun. Um, it'll be the first time we've all managed to get around the table again. Um, so we'll get some we'll get some D and D action going on soon. But the character creation part is always quite good fun for me. I really enjoy um, just beginning the beginnings of characters. They're all start you're all starting at level one. Um, but having to do it remotely has been a bit of a challenge for some of the guys. I've not been able to sit there in front of them with the book and say, look, these are the choices you've got. This is what you can see here. Blah, blah, blah. It's more, uh, let me send you some text messages. These guys are new players or some, right, or, some, yeah. or some emails to say, yeah. these are your choices. So I've had to do some quite long rambling emails and text messages just to, to outline the process of character creation and, and sell it to them in a way that's not going to put them off wanting to actually play the game. Yeah, yeah. which is, that's a fine line, isn't it? It kind of is, yeah, because it can, can be. it can be very de- uh, deep and very involved. So to sort of counter that um, that process and how uh, cumbersome it can can feel at times, I've tried to keep the choices somewhat limited. We're just going to go with the basic um, characters, uh, character races and classes from the uh, player's handbook, just to keep things simple for these guys' first games, and that will help to take away some of that immense amount of choice that you have now with fifth edition D and D with all the expansion books that have come out and all the extra uh, publications and all the uh, unearthed arcana articles, which is the official magazine essentially, uh, which is online. There's such a wealth of, of character options um, and even fan made options, which are very easy to get uh, very easy resources to, to get a hold yeah. of. The, the choice can be a bit overwhelming. Even Massively, for, can't uh, it? Yeah. Even for seasoned players, I think. Yeah. Um, so we're stripping it a bit back, going back to the player's handbook, going back to basics. So that's kind of the theme of, of this week's hobby, really, because basic level of painting, some basic level of character creation, new players coming into different hobbies for the first time. It's it's been it's been nice, um, but um, it does bring a, its share of challenges, shall we say? Of course. Um, yeah. 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 Um, and our last um, bit of hobby from the trifecta has been uh, some play testing actually uh, a very good friend of mine has created his own role play game um he's written it from scratch created a beautiful world which to play in can't name any names yet because he's yet to release all that sort of information consider it like an alpha stage of a video game you know it's in its yeah. first fledgling stage but he's actually done it he's written it all it's been printed and he's asked us for some feedback which we've gladly given uh, wow, try to be lovely. as involved as we can with this game that he's done. What I can say is that it's sort of uh, idyllic sci-fi futuristic Earth. Wow, and lovely. So, so often you find games are dystopian. You know, uh, yeah. everything's gone hor- horribly wrong. Well, actually, this is a game where everything has gone really, really well. Yeah. <laughs> and humans yeah, have evolved like to it. a point where they're, they're, they're loving life and, and they have created something fantastic and it's very utopian. So that's that's a nice change of pace as far as um, world building go, uh, goes. Very, yeah. Um, as you say, very unusual, actually. Dystopia is so much easier, isn't it? It is. Arguably. That's as much as I'm allowed to say on it, uh, sadly. But we did manage to get around the table and do some a little bit of playtesting of this game, which was lovely. Oh. Um, fresh system, quite simple system, but that's what you want. Lots of heavy role play, which is what we all enjoy. That's been pretty good, actually. Aside from that, um, I aside from that, I had a, a, someone come up to me, a good, a, another good friend of mine. Oh yeah, Grumsworth. one of those. Let me let me tell you about this Grumsworth because this um this may this may frame. The next hour's conversation um, he says oh, to me no. he says to me burlock i need some I need, I need i need a hand i need you to paint paint something for me <laughs> and he says i need you to paint 10 orc boys if you would if you would i assume um, you immediately said no 
get out of no, it. No, I won't be doing that. <laughs> but um, this was this this was more the um, this was more the more the commission style request uh, that okay. I think a lot of a lot of painters when they've been in the um, you know the world of hobby games for a lot of, for as long as we have may have been asked once or twice in their in their time. But it has, um, I'm afraid. Yes, yeah. It was a question posed to me, which I uh, at first, uh, you know, it was a bit. Oh God! Uh, I, I started to chew over this idea in my in my old brain, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I got thinking. Really, uh, the idea of painting sort of ten orc boys—a um, small request, really, isn't it? Um, but these things often lead lead to more because you can't just have ten orc boys in an army, especially with orcs. <laughs> you know, ten are, is not enough, folks. No, that's not even enough for a you know half a mob. I was thinking, where could this lead? But painting it for from a commission standpoint as well mm-hmm. started to throw lots of questions up that I've tackled before, but not for a long time. So I thought I'd tell you about it and see see what you know have, have a chat with you about okay. it, see, see what some of your thoughts on it have been because. I've called it the uh, a quandary, um, I guess, uh, the, the Tenork indeterminacy, because I don't, don't know what to do with them, really. I don't know how I can approach it. But I was thinking about what products we might be able to, uh, might be able to use for it, uh, certain techniques I might be able to use to not only make them look good, but save on time and all that kind of thing. Okay. What's your, yeah. What would your initial thoughts be if you were asked such a question? If I were asked to paint Tenorks, which, you know, God willing, I never will be, <laughs> right? I think it's... Commission painting, or I think that's maybe a grandiose term for 10 or boys, right? But it's still, if you're being asked to paint something um, and it's, it's, it's not one of yours, you're not just doing it to help out a friend or some such. If it's someone who says, I've got these miniatures, I'd really like you to paint them. So they're already confident that you're going to do some sort of job. They might have seen your work already. They might have had a little look at your miniatures in your online galleries or seen things in real life, been around your house, had a look at your cabinets and stuff like that. Mm. So they're expecting a certain level of quality, aren't they? Now, the amount of time that even if we go for things in a very, very basic style, um, even those striking scorpions that you showed earlier, they've taken you some time, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah. And your friend there. You know, there's there's some hours sunk into those. There was, yeah. The idea of sitting down with a friend and doing something with somebody else, especially if you're at, uh, approaching it from more of a, a teaching. I'll help you out. Or, yeah, 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 because he was he was learning along the way. There's something yeah, of course. else that you get out of that, isn't there? There's something. I agree. There's something else. You're there's other reasons you're doing that um, with with that with that that type of situation. Because you're showing somebody how something works, you're seeing the you're seeing them do it with you. You know, you're showing them a technique, watching them apply that technique. So that time that you're spending doesn't seem so long. So actually doing it with somebody, I think you can, I, I can say from personal experience, I really actually quite enjoy teaching people how to paint. Yeah, there's a massive difference, isn't there? As you say, teaching someone a few new techniques or just helping them get paint to brush, you know, sitting down with them. Some people like company to paint, uh, especially okay. when you're first getting into it. And that's really nice. Uh, and I think any of us would take an opportunity, especially with a friend as well, who wanted to get into it, who wanted to get their miniatures ship shape and ready to play. Mm. We'd definitely be willing to give them our hobby time, wouldn't we? Your friend is at this point, your hobby child, isn't he? 
Yeah, yeah, to some extent. <laughs> Sorry, cringe. <Yeah. laughs> but you are my hobby child right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you'll make a lovely hobby father, Burlock. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> right? But there's a big difference between that and when someone just says, I don't really want to paint these, or I've not got the time or whatever, which yeah. is fair enough. That's mm. fine. But then when you just have 10 orc boys arrive on your desk and you don't want to be painting 10 orc boys, then you have to work out, okay, so this is going to take some hours of my life, depending on what sort of detail I'm going to go in on these guys with, even out the scales and figure out, I, I should be charging this guy for this. He's willing to pay some money. So what do I charge? How much do I pay? I mean, that's that's something else, isn't it, really? It's like, that's... how much is your time worth? But really, you want to be spending as little time as you can to get the best results that you can, right? I mean, that's, Absolutely, yeah. That's yeah. The Which is kind of, that is the ultimate goal, yeah. And that's that's working efficiently, isn't it? Yeah. And working, like, effectively as well. We all get, well, I'd say we all, it might be a problem unique to me. I don't know. I reckon you suffer as well. I can tell by the look on your face, Burlock. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Trying to it's disguise that, it, but it's impossible. It's okay. It, it's not that problem. It's a painting one, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> whereby what happens is you'll do a little bit of detail or you'll throw down some base coat, might any part of a miniature. You, you'll complete that piece and then you'll sit there a while looking at it You'll, you'll move it around on whatever little pedestal you've got it held on, or maybe you're just gripping the base. You'll have a look at it, a few minutes will elapse. You'll go and do the next stage, a few more in between that, a few more in between that. Mm. And then a sort of an hour's worth of work spirals into about an hour and a half, right? Which is completely fine. Like, And I love doing that, right? With my own miniatures. Whereas you can't really do that when you're charging by the hour, you know, because you don't at the end want to present this dude with his 10 finely painted, no doubt, orcs and say, bear in mind, three hours of this, I spent just looking at them and just turning about around them. and stuff yeah. and thinking about them, right? Yeah. But, so that does come back to working effectively. Did he have a colour scheme? Uh, has he got a sort of an, an idea of how he wants these 10 orc boys to look like? Uh well, actually, yes, he did. And he, he did say to me oh, that, that I want them... Even worse. Well, yeah. <laughs> he said, I want them a specific way. Okay. Um, okay. The Bad Moons are a clan in the Warhammer 40k, Warhammer 40,000 universe. And they are, they're they sort of renowned as the clan that's the richest, the most powerful. They've got the best Bash, guns. They? They've got the most money or teeth as orcs spend teeth instead of coinage. And so they're, they're the flashes, so they wear the brightest colours, and the typical mm. colour for bad moons is yellow. Mm. No. <laughs> yeah. So, 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 so this, is, this was my worst fear, actually, when you oh. went. I mean, he couldn't have picked a worse. So even if you just use that colour sparingly, yellow is not a great colour to work with at the best of times. It requires quite a lot of energy and effort, doesn't it, to get it looking... Even look half in, tidy. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, that's right. It does take a lot of energy. It's like, yeah. okay, well, how am I going to tackle this? What order am I going to put these paints on mm. this model? Because, mm. you know, we all like to start from light and work down to dark. Some of us like to start from dark, work up to light, but there, yeah. it depends on the miniature, doesn't it? Um, it does. So yeah. when you've got orc boys, they're predominantly a bit 
grim, a bit dark, the weapons are a bit broken and rusty, but the bad moons, they have those really bright elements of their armor plates yeah. and stuff like strapped onto that. So that gives you a little bit more of a quandary, which you have to deal with, doesn't it? It's an orc quandary. So bad moons there, as you say, they're, they're sort of their, their clan color is, well, the bright one is yellow, which I've seen bad moons painted almost head to toe in yellow, like big old suits of um, mega armor, you know, head to toe in yellow. But you can also get away with using uh, a lot of darker colors in there as well, just accented with yellow. Yeah. So the way I look at it, there's a couple of ways that you might go about doing that. If he's dead set on painting them bad moon. This was a conversation we had, actually. It was because I said, okay. hang on a minute. Bad moons, you know, <laughs> why do you want to do bad moons? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with snake bites? What's wrong with death skulls? And um, we, were, we were talking about colour schemes and things and what, what yeah. you like and what would be easy. I mean, he's... He's, uh, he's the kind of guy who is very pro working quickly and efficiently and getting good results quick. So he was okay. quite, quite on board with the idea, perhaps, of shifting his colour scheme slightly. But nonetheless, the idea of painting this, 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 what, this uh, mob of 10 or boys in bright yellows and stuff, it still started throwing those questions at me again of, yeah. well, how would yeah. I? How could I? What would be the best way of going about doing this? Um, as it stands, he, he, he made the right decision and went with Death Skulls. Of course, it's the good right decision, right? So blue, good boy, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, much more forgiving yeah. than yellow. Okay, so Very we're after, yeah. But that's by the by. Let's uh, let's take the bad moon example and run with that for a moment because yeah, I like that because um, it's an interesting one and it it kind of um it throws up the question: How do you paint something nice and rapidly? How are you efficient with your time with a color that is really working against you as far as that's concerned? You know, yeah. yellow is a pain to paint. I think it's doubly hard if you're doing it on something like orcs, which have quite a feral, thrown together, scrappy appearance. Yeah, very wild looking. Very so, wild looking. Yeah. So, so adding yellow into that mix of colours, those more natural colours, as well as their bright green skin, that presents like an interesting challenge, doesn't it? I mean, the, the first thing I, I was 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 thinking about, uh, perhaps, is the first thing we could tackle with this idea is okay both the products and the techniques that you'd want to use and or combine to to, mm -hmm. to, be, to begin with and to get you through that whole process from start to finish. I mean, okay. if you had to think about products you'd want to use, or take either, take products or techniques, what, what's yeah. the, one of the first things that comes to your brain? I think here, when you're looking at painting yellow in any sort of, any more than one individual miniature, because the treatment's going to be different. The Orc boys are a kind of, they're a troop unit, aren't they? Troop choice, they're rank and file. Um, there's going to be some repetition in the posing of the miniatures. They're not going to be massively exciting. Yeah. Um, and you're on the clock. I think I'd first look at the products that I was going to use to complete this task mm. and a little bit look at it more like a task that happens to be painting um, rather than the way you might look at your own miniatures that you're going to spend hours and hours and hours lovingly pouring over yeah um, because so what you've got you've got a detachment haven't you you've got a, a bit of a detachment between the i've bought these models so they are mine i've made i've chosen these models to buy because they've gone in an army that i've planned to build so yeah, there's, yeah there's none of that you want to paint them yeah you want you love the models and that's why mm. you want to have them you love what well, you want to paint them there's nothing emotional about it so it purely is 
a, a task, isn't it? As you just said. Yeah. So bearing that in mind with this particular task, and you can kind of apply some of this knowledge to the more sort of grubby trench work of your own lovely miniatures as well. Yeah. We all, we've all had to do pretty boring base coats and stuff on things that we paint in large numbers. Yeah. And I think where I would start is I would go for something, go for getting the most paint on them in the least amount of time. I think with this particular task, you're either going to be using an airbrush and throwing your paint on like that, mm. or I think much more rapid. Yeah, I'd go straight for a rattle can. Rattle can. Yeah, just find a, find a coloured primer, I think. And that was mm. the first thing I thought. Initially, the first yeah. thing I thought was, was, was brown. And if we're going with the Bad Moon example, okay. um, I thought, well, maybe I'd do the brown and then maybe I'd get uh, a yellow zenithal on there with another with a yellow ra yellow rattle can or with an airbrush but then i thought well actually that's just adding a process to this <laughs> adding but, steps but it actually yeah. doesn't need to be there so i mean we, we can sort of circle back around to the idea of planning again we've spoken about it on numerous yeah. podcasts now that we've done um the idea of planning being your your savior in these moments because yeah even just thinking if i've just gone straight to the shelf sprayed and brown i'd be like oh well, actually, maybe I should damn it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, so what you've said there, you'd go for your initial thought was to throw on your brown, and then, mm. as you say, use a zenithal highlight, which, for those of you who don't have paint speak, um, is is blasting straight down from the top of the miniature. So you essentially you you automatically highlight the sort of raised portions of the model as if there was a, a bright light shining right down onto yeah. the model. So you create a contrast between light and shade very, very quickly and easily. It's, yeah. it's a really good technique. I'm sure it's something we'll blunder into. Mm. Um, we'll probably go there again very shortly. Oh, I love it. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. It often smells kind of like paint fumy and tastes slightly of acrylic paint. Mm. Yeah, very, very, uh, very wholesome very very wholesome yeah so we'll talk about zenithal and and give you a rundown on that another day so that would that would really work you'd have this kind of brown shadow you'd have this yellow zenithal down from the top highlight so i think that's a good place to start but as you say you are kind of you're adding some extra steps there although it would be increasing the quality of your output on those miniatures myself i'd go straight for a rattle can a single primer something like some perhaps the army painter do a really solid range of of actual just flat colors out of a rattle can they, yeah. they go on really really well nice and smooth there's a good wide range so whether you're doing blood angels space marines your ultramarines you're doing some dusty desert looking towel or some polished shiny necrons army painter do a base coat can that's going to be fit for that job and they do do a beautiful yellow they do yeah i bathe these guys in a nice even flat yellow undercoat so obviously they'd look terrifying like that <laughs> just these 10 bright yellow orcs that is a sight that no one wants to see right Ever. absolutely not <laughs> but but i think it is it is a good stepping off point for these guys to begin with because that is moments worth of work. Yeah, bearing in, bear in mind you haven't had to put these together because that's one thing I would instantly say, please build them and, and, and clean yeah. the mold lines with, um, oh, yeah. with, a, with, a, with a hobby knife. 
I would also say hobby knife or nothing. Yeah. But if if uh, it's fine if they don't want to take the mold lines off, that's okay. I mean, if that's how, them that. if yeah, that's how they want them, yeah, how they want them. Yeah, a decision isn't it, at the end of the day. But I would that's suggest right. that they, a they're definitely built that, so that's a must. Um, and yeah, if they if they if they have the time to clean them up at least a bit, yeah. Um, Helps uh, that's lot, also it? it does help because when you're using something like a base primers from a can when you're yeah. spraying because the colors are so flat and so uh, so mm -hmm. um those imperfections really show up very quickly they do um they do don't they yeah yeah, yeah. when you're aiming to, aiming to paint faster <laughs> and have better results through speed i do think that that slight extra bit of time cleaning your miniatures up once they're built or before they're built um, really helps but anyway i digress <laughs> as usual no you digress <laughs> in the right direction because we're, we're talking about although although this is adding to the time that you poor you know souls have to listen to us it's oh. it's saving it's saving you time in your in your hobby there if you clean your miniatures up like nicely or or just just get a few of the the worst offenders mold line wise yeah some of the ones in the most obvious places mm. Talking about products, you talked about rattle cans. Um, you mentioned airbrushes, which which can be used, which is a quick way. Yeah. Obviously, there's more setup and all that kind of business, so rattle cans yeah. are just genuinely quicker. Um, they are. So they don't yield as good results, I would say, for no, the most I, part. I would agree. Mm. But they are quicker, and you don't need to have an airbrush or a compressor and all of those shenanigans. There's no cleaning them out afterwards. As you say, the prep work is less for that. And we're yeah. all about time with this Ten orc conundrum, aren't we? What I would do next would be to base coat, <coughs> base coat the individual parts of the miniature. For example, some okay. of them wear like fatigues, you know, like uh, trousers. Maybe there's uh, areas of robe or shirt that they're wearing. I'd begin to throw some colour onto there, but I keep the colours somewhat light. So the lighter mm -hmm. end of the spectrum of these colours. So if I'm going from a brown or maybe a denim -y kind of blue or grey, um, mm -hmm. I'd, I'd stick to slightly lighter than I would for a standard base coat if I was to be building up from a darker colour to a light. Um, okay, yeah. So, so this is this is all going this is all going in the direction that I thought, mm. and this it, it's the sensible direction at this point. So, I think what's happening here is we've got our nice bright base coat on. Uh, and then we're block filling in some of the details in colours a couple of shades lighter than we might normally use if we were if we were painting a model in the more traditional fashion. That's it. So I would go through their areas of their armour plates that might not be yellow. So perhaps some of those armour plates are metal or like a brassy, coppery colour. So I'd, I'd, okay. throw, I'd throw some metallic straight onto the top, on top of the yellow there. Um, I wouldn't worry quite so much about beginning to layer different shades of the metal on top at this point. I'd probably just be throwing down some mid-tones, so, so sort of middle okay. silvers, some middle coppery kind of colours rather than the dark. Yeah. Yeah, and I'd be I'd be using this opportunity just to make them all look exactly the same. So I'd have my almost conveyor belt style going. So I'd pick up the first okay. guy, paint his gun that silver, pick up the next guy, paint the same gun that silver, and I'd keep going until all ten were done. The sort of the conveyor belt. You know, you line your guys up, you rank them up there on your desk and you, and you pick the first guy up, you paint all of his metal areas in your bright silver or whatever it is you're using. Mm. And then rather than moving on to the other colours and finishing the base colours one model at a time, you go through and you paint all 10 dudes with their bright, shiny silver guns, choppers, armour. It shows progress more rapidly absolutely absolutely yeah so you i mean i i I'd, I'd like to keep them all 
basically exactly the same because that just saves saves my brain space a little bit more i would yeah. just go straight in whack all the silver on whack all the light browns on whack all the grays on so at this point we've got 10 mm -hmm. guys you, i mean for example you start with the silver you start with the first one you end up at guy number 10 by the time you can then look at the next color all the all the paint on that first one's now dry so there's yeah that, that that going through them one by one with the same shade um means your drying time is also cut down yeah. If you're starting one guy from start to finish, there's a lot of time between those paint shades drying off before you can then get your brush back in there. So again, it goes back to that efficiency, doesn't it? You're just you're rolling in your every color at the same time. So it saves you paint as well because you can use the same area of paint. That's true. Yeah. And I think once the skin's then done with their green, I'd maybe throw in some very minor details at this point. Purely, okay. I think with orcs, it'd be teeth and eyes. That's it um that sounds good to me also yeah i would i'd be in the same camp you look for something that is maybe a little bit of a focal point for the model tends to be with a lot of sort of human shaped critters you're going to be looking at their sort of face area something yeah. like this yeah. with orcs that is a big old face isn't it it is yeah they're so, face. so animated as well with the huge teeth massive jaws and everything so it's the first thing you see probably that all the yeah. weapons what paints would you use would you just go for your standard acrylic or would you go for something different a certain type of range of paints because i've i've, I've worked with lots of different sorts of paints different brands etc we mentioned armor yeah. the primers they're also yeah. very good they have good acrylics because they match the primers 100 percent. they do they color match them don't they yeah yeah really um, nice but Vallejo, for example, they do a range of extra opaque, which I would probably think about using for something like this. I do have a, quite a vast selection of different different brands, which not everybody does have, so it might not apply to most no. most painters out there. But Vallejo do an extra range of extra opaque, which means that you don't need to worry about putting a potential second coat on. Whatever range you choose to go for, or if you're just working with exactly what you have, because you're not always going to rush out and buy paints specifically for a 10 orc problem, are you? No, if you've got the different tools at your disposal, it's worth considering, I think, what, what ones Definitely. you would use for it. Which ones are going to be ideal, yeah. yeah. So I think what we'd, I think both of us would tend to work on this idea, especially for the skin. You'd be looking for a paint which, which covers the skin. Green, if you're going for the regular, traditional looking orc. Good and green. But you'd maybe want to use the fact that they're undercoated in yellow to maybe bring out a little bit of sort of auto highlighting. That's a good so, point. Yeah. 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 So so something which shows some of the undercoat through it a little bit, but concentrates more deeply into the recesses. These guys, these all boys, they've got lots of kind of they're muscle bound, aren't they? Loads yeah. of kind of ragged looking, quite detailed skin, actually. Lots of nice recesses. Good muscle definition. Yeah, good, 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 good shadows good around the eyes and the mouth. Yeah, and, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. So so a thin green paint would probably do really well there because it's going to sink into those recesses. It's going to leave the broader, more exposed, flatter mm. areas of their muscle. It's going to catch a little of the green, so yeah. change it from the yellow, but it's also going to be lighter than the stuff that's fallen and settled into the creases of their flesh. So you combine so, the thinner paint as opposed to my idea of a, a thicker paint to get a good, a good coverage. You go for a slightly thinner style product yeah. to go over specifically the skin, I guess, because you're looking yes. to highlight as part of that one step. So if you get the right product, you're going to be 
shading and highlighting over an undercoat that you've already put on there. Yeah. So I would consider using something like I might use a Vallejo green with a load of medium f- thrown in it. Okay. To make it to make it thinner and flow a little bit better. Might use a green wash or ink because you can get it on very very quickly. You do have to be a little careful around the areas you want to leave yellow or brown or grey. Um, but I think that that's time well spent because you are, if you're using like a green ink, all of that is going to do your shading and your highlighting to some degree, particularly on these guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. So sort of looking at selecting the right, the right paint for the task. Mm. There's obviously the, the contrast range of paints as well, aren't there? Which Yeah. The games workshop contrast range, which for this particular job, might actually be quite good yeah. to use for the skin if you found the mm. contrast green just threw that over that yellow yellow spray yellow uh yeah. base coat um that's got that sort of good mixture of of medium to pigment um it has yeah and it's yeah. got that that right level of viscosity i think hasn't it to be able to actually in that single yeah. pass of the brush yeah 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 flow yeah. into those gaps stain all the surrounding area that you've painted and bring out those that's highlights it. gently so actually that's another option isn't it they the, the the contrast range it is yeah and i think you using the word stain is exactly what you're doing there isn't it mm, yeah but that particular range of paints they are a little bit more like a stain they a heavy stain but again, they are a stain a he- they are a heavy stain and you do have to be a little bit careful with them mm. because again if you throw if you just bash that green on really quickly you're going to get it over all of the light colors that you've already put on yeah. and your guys they want to be wearing their nice brown gray rags and stuff like that and then big shiny bits of yellow armor you don't yeah. want splashes of their skin up it but so that that's could be worth you... thinking about doing the skin first then after these after the initial primer's done wouldn't it so ordering the that's colors to do it because if you know this particular sec this particular step might be a little messier potentially contrary to the um their release notes i think from oh don't shopping. get into that yeah 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 the contrast range aren't really i don't feel good beginner products they are good products i think but they're quite good in a specific way and they're quite clumsy to use so i think actually having the skin yeah, as your so. first step and then going on to the other details is probably the best way to do it that's it yeah i think that's ideal yeah so mm. we'd go with our yellow undercoat to begin with suggest a contrast green or a very thin down very high medium green mm, or, or an ink or a wash maybe you know you might even get away with a glaze yeah yeah you could do if you wanted your guys to look quite pale that could be mm-hmm, a good option mm-hmm. for you yeah of mm-hmm. course skin second and then you paint all of their armor weapons robes and stuff in as you've already detailed their burlock uh, and then then we go for some little feature details like whacking in the teeth little teeth they're they're quite prominent aren't they very yeah Mm. yeah and the eyes as well yeah and then then we would have 10 orcs the 10 orc problem sort of just base coated um but other than that all very very flat yeah Mm. yeah yeah but you mean that that could be that you could happily turn around and say here you go they're done now they're they're painted i mean there's nothing wrong with that either all right they're not based well you know <laughs> and at this point there's 10 guys and they're all they're all base coated each yeah. area prominent area of these miniatures has been painted a particular color but yeah yeah uh, 
you know, there is, I think there's probably one last step that we could use to make these guys actually look like oh, yeah. a slightly more finished, finished. look about them. You, you know, dare Very I good. say a more professional edge to it. Um, <laughs> but too Sherlock. You, you've said it and I will echo it. We're going to talk about the dip, right? At this yeah. point, we say the term dip. The idea is that you would then give, pop these models with either a very large brush or literally dip them into a can of brown. Something. Of brown yeah. juice. Brown juice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't soon soon you'll be able to buy brown juice <laughs> from from your favourite hobby store, Oldman's. You know, there's gonna be there's gonna be cans of brown juice everywhere in that place. Oldman's brown juice. Yeah, that's right. And it'll be the oh. best. It'll be the best you can buy. Oh, until yeah. until that happens, essentially what we're looking at here, um, the, the brown juice, whatever company supplies it, it's going to be something that, as Burlock suggests, you're going to coat your entire model with head to toe head everywhere. To toe. Yeah. Big fat old brush. So you, you get your can of chosen brown juice, and this can come in all sorts of different shades, but the, the thing that all these brown juices do is they will coat your entire model, right? Adding a sort of a, uh, a brown filter to the whole thing. So a little bit like the contrast paint being thrown onto the skin there, this stuff is going to find all of the recesses of your miniature, all those kind of nooks and crannies and stuff like this. It's going to seep into there and collect in there most strongly and it's just going to tint slightly the more broader, flatter, less detailed areas. Yeah. So what it's doing for you is it's giving you, it's giving you shadows and highlights in one easy stroke. One fell swoop. That's right. And you put it, you've, you've summed it up very eloquently there, there Grumsworth, because... Oh, thank you, Burlock. Uh, you know, but it does do that, though. It's, it's, you get all your sh shadow, all your shadows, and all of your highlights are instantly out and the, the entire yeah. miniature will look suddenly look oh, that's finished actually you mm. notice it more once it's actually dry because it does come out of said dip looking or looking quite shiny but once most often doesn't it yeah, yeah but then once it's um dried or with a, a thin coat of um matte varnish over the top of it yeah it takes on a whole new life and it really does come to life it really does um, yeah but this technique's been around for a long long time i mean i i remember working with uh, some fine fellows many moons ago and we we called it the brown ink technique. Brilliant. Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Games Workshop they they released um, they used to, or they've had many iterations of Citadel color, um, and it's gone through many versions of different pot styles, etc. Um, and at one stage, when you had the uh, small black topped and white topped actually um, screw cap. Oh yes. Looked yeah, like, yeah. Looked like little bullets. Um, That's it. They were the worst parts because they would always dry out and you can never tighten them up properly because they were, anyway, bad design. Yeah. But either way, yeah. as yeah. part of this particular range during this time, there was a, a brown ink. It was just called brown ink. And when you open the pot up, there wasn't a little handy little um, like uh, receptacle where some of the paint ended up, which you could get into nice and easily with your brush. It was literally just an open pot. Like a, like Bizarre. a, yeah, yeah. But you could get your brush right in there, right? So you, you picked up the, the largest dry brush that you could. I think it was just about the time when the tank brush was released. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so, yeah. Appropriately named. We all had our, we was all doing a different uh, Chaos Space Marine army at the time, actually. Oh, wow. Um, okay. 
And I, I, I didn't have Nurgle, although it would have turned out much better if I did. I had a bunch of Night Lords, but again, they were, they were obviously blue, right? Mm. Dark blue. Brown still shades blue nicely. So we have Does, actually, yeah. and we decided, yeah. each of us, there was about five of us, each with a different legion. We only did 500 points, so small forces, but we all applied the same painting technique to our individual legions. You had the guy with the, the red um, word bearers, you had you know, the, the Night Lords that I had, you had your Nurgle. Anyway, this brown ink, it just from this large tank brush and um, we, we diluted it with a little bit of um, water and we just threw it on top and we watched as these models that we just base coated really, really roughly, really quickly. And they just, it, it brought them to life. And we was able to just field these miniatures, these little armies we've made so quickly. Really quickly. It was, yeah, yeah. And it, and they looked great. I mean, okay. Individually, you look at them and you think, Oh, don't know about that, but when you take a step back and you look at them on the battlefield, which is where you usually see your models anyway. That's right. You know, it, <laughs> they yeah. looked absolutely perfect. Um, we'd actually taken the effort to sand the the bases before we brown ink them. That's a very good move. Is okay. that something you would consider doing with this ten orc problem? So before we go so. into using any of the um, the brown ink there or anything else like that, mm. you'd consider sanding the bases first, yeah? I would, yeah, uh, because well. My, the, the way I usually base miniatures, if I'm doing them fast, is PVA, throw them in mm -hmm. some sand, um, and then once that's dry, then the same brown ink uh, stains the, the sand, and you can then just put a quick dry brush over the top or, or not. Excellent. Yeah. So it's yeah, a really, like that. Really, really quick way of doing it. So if you're, if you're brown inking or brown washing or however you want to do it, dipping the entire miniature anyway, you may mm. as well do, this, do the sand first. And if you, can, if you apply that same conveyor belt to them, more often than not, that first one's going to be dry by the time you get to the end. So Yeah, perfect. So Very yeah, efficient. What we ended up doing was we, we, we loved this process so much that we um, actually ended up buying it. <laughs> we went to Games Workshop and we bought all their brown ink. They had about 50 <laughs> pots in stock. And between a lot of us, we, we made this little... We got this old tin can of paint that we obviously emptied. Yeah. We tried our best to fill up this this tin can with uh with brown ink diluted it appropriately to the right amount and then we could literally um either attach our miniatures to like a little wire so we could we yeah. dip them into this thing bring them out and then paste okay. them <laughs> so they could then dry so we we were literally dipping them in this this stuff um and the results were exactly the same as a well, but quite ex the same because we actually end up with more brown ink on the miniatures through dipping them yeah. we did with, so we were uh, obviously a little bit less delicate with it but the results were nigh on the same you know we were just we were getting these these models painted up real basic base coating them all dipping them in this this homemade can of diluted brown ink and we were we were just knocking out miniatures so fast yeah um, yeah so that's that's definitely what i would 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 consider I mean, you've you've have you tried the technique yourself with uh, with any kind of dip or any kind of other product that yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not so common these days, I think, but your example shows it up beautifully. So you can apply this brown stuff, this brown juice from Oldman's, <laughs> you know, um, or, or your brown ink from your massive pot that you've collected from Games Workshop, or my weapon of choice, which I'm going to tell you about shortly. So most of this stuff has some interesting properties about it which essentially make this coat that you've dipped them in shrink as it dries so it shrinks and that's how it pushes into all those recesses yeah. leaves all the larger areas basically free of it 
you do get a sort of slight staining effect come across. It is okay, and especially for our 10 orcs here, yeah. it is completely fine that their yellow will be a little browner in places. It's going to do wonders for the silver of their weaponry because you're going to have a sort of an auto shading and rust and worn and weathered look about them as well. So that is definitely what I do. I definitely be dipping them. I have used in the past this technique. I've actually, I've not used it for a while because newer products have come out since I used this, but I, I totally would go for a dipping technique if I were painting a humongous army or I was painting 10 orc boys for someone. <laughs> Yeah. Right, so Good. it's this is still relevant, yeah. Um, I actually painted a small Skaven warband again, nice and grubby, basically brown skin and metal, so not dissimilar to our 10 orc problem we got here. And these guys, again, the same thing, they're undercoated in a single color, nice, kind of quite bright colors before I applied the dip. The metal was just one shade of some shiny balls kind of silver <laughs> um so bright and they look terrifying like that as well it's like i hope this works please work <laughs> please work and it was a bit like that because yeah. i painted you know i painted probably a grand total of about 30 or 40 scaven clan rats you know five or ten rat ogres in this but anyway you actually have been confident at that point otherwise i would have not had the guts <laughs> it's <laughs> okay it does a little bit, especially when you're committing that much time to such a, a large project. So what I did, this was a technique that I that I discovered way, way back in the, in the real old days when, when kind of dipping was, was quite a thing among certain communities of wargamers. It was historic ones, <laughs> right? Um, they would often dip their entire armies and whatnot. Yeah. Right? So what I did is I went down to my local DIY store and I brought a pre-filled big can of brown stuff. It was actually a, uh, a dark oak wood stain. Oh, okay. Wood stain. Yeah, that's Ooh. right. So I'd done, I'd done a little bit of research on this. So I knew roughly what to look for. Mm. Um, so I knew I needed something that was going to be pretty dark. Oak was the darkest they had in the shop. So I was like, go for that. Yeah, picked up the pot, had a little quick read of the ingredients. Long as it's got loads of polyurethane in it, you're cool. Because then it will shrink, won't it? Yeah, that's right. You know it. Yeah. As it dries, that's the stuff that contracts all this dark pigment, pushes it into the recesses, leaves it off the raised areas. Yeah. So I go down there, I find my five pound tin of the um the DIY store's own brand stain in, in dark oak. So yeah, so I prize this can open. This stuff looks like black, like treacle. And actually the consistency is kind of like that as well. Mm -hmm. yep. don't, don't be put off because it's going to shrink. It's got polyurethane <laughs> in it. It's going to shrink, yeah. So I did exactly as you suggested there, as you did with your Night Lords. I picked each of these little Skaven dudas up. I just popped them straight in, took them out. I did shake a little of the excess off. Yeah, you have because to a little bit because you do get a lot of pooling sometimes, like pooling in the very deep, yes. deepest recesses, yeah. which yeah. if you just left would probably just become little blobs of dried varnish or paint or whatever. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you do need to be a little bit you know, careful not to have any yeah. 
big, big blobs, but yeah, more often than not, it just slides right off, doesn't it? It does. It does. Mm. This this particular a wood stain has quite a long dry time on it, mm. right? So you do have a few moments, although it, it's best to to shake the excess off as quickly as possible. Get down lots of newspaper and stuff, and wear your painting clothes because this gets proper messy yeah. really quickly. But yeah, so all of these Skaven just dunked in this pot of black tarry liquid, pulled out there, left for 24 hours. When I came back to them, I mean, they, they shined like nothing I've ever seen before. They were the most gloss objects in the known universe, right? What was, they, 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 they reflected light in absolutely terminal darkness. Kaleidoscopic Skaven. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, Oh no, Ronsworth, yeah. you've done wrong here. <laughs> you've done wrong here. Um, but I also knew that, as we mentioned a little bit early on, the real final step here that transforms them completely, and rest assured it does, is to whack a good, like a really decent matte varnish over. Yeah. Because yeah, taking definitely. all that shine off, suddenly you see all those shadows that have been auto-loaded in, with your, whether it's your brown ink or your own brand oak from around <laughs> the corner. Wood stain. Wood stain, yeah. yeah. <laughs> or the third option, which we will talk about shortly. Yeah. I wouldn't use it for beautiful, um, really mint, crisp-looking towel or elves. 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 They can, can work. Do a and it, bit. I did some high elves, for instance, and they weren't the typical... Because I knew I'd be dipping them, I didn't do them in the typical white and blue, yeah. okay, or green, turquoisey, bright colours. They were like a red and um, and, mm. and grey uh, colour scheme. So the the the, the dip nice. the dip took quite nicely to that particular mm. scheme. But that's if you know you're going to adopt a technique like this, choose a colour scheme that is going to work better with. Although it can work on white and and blue, light really really light blues and things. It does tend to take better to the slightly yeah. darker, as you say, slightly more grubby color schemes or or armies that tend to roll around in the mud a bit more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Your grubby orcs, skeletons, any sort of undead. Oh, perfect for undead. Looks, yeah. 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 You can you can bash out armies of, mm. of skeletons and zombies in a day. You know, really good for it. Um, so yeah. So the last thing there after your dipper choice. I would always advise Tester's dull coat. It looks like it absorbs light. <laughs> you know, it is incredible. But yeah, so so, um, army painter do a good uh, anti shine, which is quite decent. Yeah. It's yeah. okay. Yeah, and they they well they I mean they've released their own version of said dip as well, haven't they? I mean it's been around for a good few years now actually. So yeah, it's quite good actually. They do three different versions. Mm -hmm. They do a soft, uh, a dark, and a strong tone. Is that right? Uh, I think it's soft, it's dark, right. and strong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you wanted that slightly more sepia, light brown finish, you could go for the, the soft tone. If you really That's wanted it. that heavy, heavy uh, wash down to to really like hammer the, the shadows, into, uh, yeah, yeah, into your zombies or your skeletons or your mm. really dirty orc, snake bite orcs or something. I'd probably go with strong yes. tone anyway. Strong tone seems to be pretty good. But yeah, it looks like they've yeah, uh, they good. swept in, stole our good ideas. Old army painter. <laughs> they stole our good ideas. I mean, I reckon they're good ideas that people had before us. 
But yeah, oh, of course, yeah. There's no new idea under the sun, is there? Let's be honest. That's truth, Burlock. That's truth. <laughs> but but, the, but so so that is the treatment that we'd use for the ten orcs. Then do you think? Yeah, I, I, yeah. That that is definitely the the route I'd go down. It seems we would both go for the same sort of technique yes. when painting a chore batch of miniatures and trying to get them decent because that's that's what we sort of hang our coat on painter wise isn't it we like our work to be good still okay with something like this you know you're going to be able to do better anyway but of your your justifications are there because as i said at the beginning you're not really emotionally yeah. attached to these figures but you still want to make no, them no. look nice of course you do yeah yeah, yeah. we're painters yeah, right. we're painters we want to make our things look good <laughs> 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 we do our best we do our best that's how we solve the ten orc problem yes the ten orc quandary i think has been solved yeah um uh, so, i've got a question for you do you want to paint ten orc boys <laughs> i still know not really hello all you lovely people welcome back to this section of the preamble where the magic happens where myself burlock are going to dissect in detail a magic card selected for us by one of our listeners slash viewers it's one of our one of our um loyal viewers from the very beginning from episode zero in fact he's been listening to us by the blood um is and there this, one? Uh, yes there's one a single one <laughs> and this has uh, been um gifted to us by uh Arindrell. so Arindrell, um thank you very much for your suggestion of this week's magic card um thank you yeah, so this is a this is an eerie procession. Well, I mean, pretty creepy uh, at first glance, isn't it? It's um, it's a blue card, as you can see. Um, it's an uncommon, as far as its rarity mm -hmm. goes. Um, it's a sorcery, uh, arcane sorcery. It must be said, um, and it's by um, Jim Murray. Well, that's the artwork. It's by Jim Murray. This looks somewhat odd, doesn't it? This is a little off the wall. Not your usual kind of magic card. What do you reckon, Grumsworth? I think you're right. I think it is kind of off the wall, although there's a good slab of magic cards that sort of are. Yeah. I think it's it's the first one that we've had um, on this show, though, that it's proper abstract, isn't it? But it is a procession of kind of fish-type beasts with tiny little hands holding some scrolls, drifting round in midair it looks like right and in what looks like to be some sort of circle, circle? yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it's we're definitely we're leaning into the abstract with these guys i like the way that this this one on the uh the front with his you can see him more face on he's holding that scroll it's got all those runes written on it yeah yeah i like how as he would be floating past the one underneath him that scroll is just gonna smack him in the face okay i quite like that they're it just knocking yeah. they're, they're, each one is reading the scroll as it goes past mumbling out that's it they're going in opposite directions aren't they the top they are the yeah, yeah. Um, that's quite nice i quite like that so the the composition is very interesting they, they seem to be circling this sphere of this golden sphere in the middle yeah okay um, so i didn't notice that at first but you're completely right yeah they're revolving around this floating little golden orb it looks like doesn't it yeah yeah whatever that represents i don't quite know but that's that's part of the joy of this card actually because it it does kind of allow you to make up your own mind as to what's going on it's not obvious is it it's not a very obvious piece of work the background is no. very uh simple plain it's just like it's yeah. just a, a plain color um 
and it's these fish that have got weird humans human type mouths um in an odd mm. way or well, i mean they're not mm. human are they but they're certainly they got not... teeth yeah um, true. these kind of fish look more like goldfish mixed with angelfish with, with these creatures these these are, th are themed around the cami um okay yeah this 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 card is actually from uh, champions of kamigawa which was quite eastern themed um chinese yeah, yeah. maybe japanese i i, I don't know they, they borrowed lots of mythology and ideas from um east far eastern mythology and and um, legend and these these creatures are are like a, a spirit or a, one of the kami um okay. like a, a soul that is kind of linked to the material world and these things would exist in like a parallel dimension almost i mean there's a little bit of history to the to this particular set um where there's like the, the kami war is what it um uh, what it themes around um mm -hmm. the emperor of the land guy by the name of konda he, he trespassed in the, the worst possible way he managed to kidnap um a spirit from the spirit realm or a kami um, and this particular thing he captured happened to be the uh, the child of one of the most powerful spirits in the Kami world. Um, and so when he captured it and brought it back to his material plane in his castle there, um, that which was taken, I think it was called, because um, it didn't have a name, um, but it angered the, the spirits, angered the Kami so much that they broke down those barriers between the spirit realm and the material realm and the war began and it was people mm. uh, you know your everyday average soldier or samurai or citizen fighting against these these spirits that were just attacking them from every direction from every angle in the story pardon me the the spirits were linked to your everyday objects you know you had your spirit of your, your forest you have the spirit of the tree spirit of the flower all Strong. these oh yeah all these spirits started just tearing through into the material room and attacking everything anyway so I, I get the feeling that these little things are actually cami and they take on the weirdest forms yeah they don't they don't look normal they're not like your typical ghosts that are just incorporeal they look like real beings as they take shape in the material realm they they take on a unique form and some of them like these odd little fish creatures here have little hands that grip these tiny scrolls um it's what they do it's what kind those of what, particular ones do kind of what they do so that might give you a little bit of an indication as to why these things look the way they do um mm. maybe these particular creatures are spirits spirits of the scrolls maybe they're the cami of the scrolls who knows um maybe that's what they represent um the twisting turning words that are in in, in all the manner of different scrolls that are written across the land maybe this is what these little fish creatures are tied to what they represent what they are part of yeah, it would certainly key in with the fact that it is a sorcery card um, and it also is marked as an arcane one as well. Hmm. So yep. so these could well be uh, sort of spirits of of knowledge, of lore, That's right. of, yeah. of arcane and magic, hmm. uh, which might also suggest why they're floating out in this kind of unusual vista, sort of, it, it looks kind of sky-like, but it doesn't have to be, does it? It could right. be... It could be spirit realm sort of situation we've got here. Yeah, could be. Um, yeah. Proceeding as they are, 
reading their little scrolls because I agree with you it looks like they're mouthing the words as they slowly amble by each other yeah, although their eyes look blind isn't that odd? they do look blind yeah yeah maybe drawn in kind of by the gravity of this tiny orb yeah yeah or maybe they are so maybe they're blinded by the words themselves or the words in these scrolls or the images that they're reading in these scrolls maybe it's it's blinded them to all other things <laughs> and the That's only thing, the thing they can perceive spirits, isn't it I like what you yeah, I like what you said about the, them being tied to law specifically. Yeah. Um, in there is a, a quote from the Lady Azami, who in in the game was actually um, like the keeper of scrolls. She was like the ah, law. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So um, so it makes a lot of sense that these things rep represent said knowledge or yeah. Or, um, okay. Yeah. Or, or I, they represent the ideas within the scrolls. And mm. kind of feeds in a little bit, perhaps, to the mm. rules within the card, the, you know, the gameplay rules. Jim Murray done a, a nice job with this, actually, because it's he left really it good, vague, yeah. in, vague enough for you to be able to make your own mind up about what's going on. Yeah. Um, and with a title like Eerie Procession, he's made them look pretty damn creepy, if you ask me. He has, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I wouldn't like to meet one of these things just floating by me in the middle of the night with their little blind eyes and their wickedly sharp teeth. And <laughs> Do you know, like, so I agree, they look like, I think they look ugly, blind, kind of buck-toothed, stunted little armed, but in a good way. I think yeah, they look they, quite adorable. They are, in, in, their, yeah, in yeah? an odd way. In that, in that weird kind of... Creepily adorable, but... Yeah. I, I also did have a thought that the scale of this picture could be um, taken in a couple of different places. Okay, yeah. That, that orb in the middle, like, it could be looking at kind of a planet-sized object. Here. I mean, these things could, these things could be <laughs> absolutely vast, yeah, in this kind of ethereal realm. Or we could be looking at something that's the size of a humble apple, you know, or, and these are kind of fish size. Yeah? Or even an atom. Even an atom. They, I mean, that they tiny could be spirit. microscopic. These things could be so tiny. Um, and that's why there's so like many that. of them. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that that right. is interesting, isn't it? I, one, um, actually, also with the colour, it looks almost as if they're made of the paper they're carrying, doesn't it? I agree. Yeah, there's something, there's something book-like about their... Um, about their flesh mm. and the, the way they appear. But yeah. with regard to the, the rules, um, mm -hmm. this is... Uh, as you mentioned earlier, Grumsworth of Sorcery, um, and it's got the uh, subtype Arcane, so it's a specific type of sorcery. Um, it costs three mana, two generic and one blue, and it's it's essentially in, in Magic the Gathering lingo, it's a tutor card, so it allows you to search through your deck uh, for a particular card of the Arcane variety, so it is mm. a source, an Arcane sorcery in itself. It allows you to search your library for another Arcane spell. You then get to reveal that, put it into your hand, and then you shuffle your library. So yeah. it's quite simple in what it does. It is just a tutor. It allows you to fish for a single card out of your deck. It's a sorcery, so you can't. You can only do it in your own turn. So it's somewhat uh -huh. a slow mechanic. It's the idea is that you, would, for a lot of blue cards, they're usually um, you know they, they rely on um, taking a lot of action in your opponent's turn using yeah. a lot of instant abilities or cards with flash, for example. Um, mm -hmm. This is a sorcery, so it, it allows you to sort of set up your hand for a particular type of play. And that kind of feeds into what this card is. You know, it's an arcane card. It allows you to only search for another arcane card. And bear in mind, arcane sorcery spells were only present in Kamigawa. 
they haven't yeah. been printed in any other set so that kind of hamstrings its playability a little bit makes in my it opinion. yeah quite restrictive if you're playing block um constructed where it's where you would use cards purely from the Kamigawa Just set, that set. Yeah. it's not quite so bad because it allows you to construct it in a certain way it's a nice way to play that yeah it's a yeah. nice way to play yeah because it means you don't really need um to deck build lots and lots and lots you no. need to have an understanding no. of deck building obviously and that being said it does have a bit of restrictive um element to its to its rules and its gameplay and its mechanics but it does then allow you in turn to be able to fish for that particular card. It allows you to tutor up that particular card that will help you at the right time. It could be quite useful and allow you to get exactly what you need to, to get your combo off or get your win, get your game on. Um, but I, I, I love this card, not for its playability, which I think is probably about 50-50 you know, really for me. Yeah. As yeah. far as whether I'd use it or not. But the artwork is so um, evocative of this set. And it's so weird, yeah. like a lot of the cards in this particular set as well, that it makes me make makes me really like this card. It all, it all makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think this is this is a card which probably sees very 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 little play um, outside of outside of the scenarios you you've suggested there. Yeah. If you're playing with the Kamigawa block, then th this is going to be pretty useful. Like you say, uh, a, a tutor style card help you get through your deck it's got that kind of that blueness about it mm -hmm. they they often have that sort of search through your library to get another one of what you already have but they're a bit slower at it because you know this, this is a sorcery here rather than uh you know some of the more rapid stuff that they can do that's right um, but and they're a bunch of lined fish so they're not going to go the, go quick are they it's just what I was going to say. These look like some, yeah. These look like some slow-moving fellas. Yeah. You know, these are not going to get round to anything, whatever size they are, anytime soon. So, <laughs> sorcery, arcane, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like you say about the art, though, it is. It's really beautiful. It, like lovely color palette. I really mm. like how sharp a lot of the lines are, but then how a lot of the color is really diffuse um, and blended. Yeah. Um, this interesting scale it's super weird um yeah. jim murray you've done a solid job i reckon good up joe jim murray yeah do you want to read us out the um flavor text for this card because it's quite nice well let's have a little look i'm going to ask burlock do i need to put on the voice for this um... <laughs> I don't yep. think we can possibly do Lady Azami the slightest bit of justice that she deserves. <laughs> well, Burlock, I'm afraid to say I think you're underestimating my, uh, my range of voices. Though in years past, speculation was not encouraged about the strange ways of the Kami, now we must understand their motivations, if such is even possible, to the mortal mind. So, yeah, it's, again, it's, it's, as you say, the, the flavour text there, that little quote from the lady, master of law as she is, mm. she is saying that we need to get to grips with this this other side, these yep. spirits here. You know, we need to understand them. I think she's got her work cut out with these fish. I think she certainly has. Yeah, yeah. They've run off with all her scrolls. Thank you, Aaron Drell. Nice. Thank you, Jim Murray. Thank you, Grumsworth. Yeah. Thank you both. And well, thank you for bringing it to my attention, Burlock. It's it's an absolute treat. Always nice to get through another one of these cards. That's right. That's right. That brings us to the end of the magic segment, and sadly, it does. It does towards guys, toward, yeah. towards the close of our podcast for this week. Ah, oh, yet again, our time has elapsed. 
dear viewers, <laughs> fine <laughs> comrades. It has. Um, that old boy is knocking at the door again, isn't he? He is, yeah, yeah. He's he's at the door asking, if I can't find you here, where can I find you? Where can I find us, Grumsworth? Now, Father Time can find us behind our own doors, as he as he's a want to do, and with alarm in regularity as well. Um, but all you folks can find us on all of the links and such displayed around the screen. Have a look at us on YouTube. You can find us on Spotify and Player FM. All the stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us a few thumbs up if you are impressed by our work. Give us a big hardcore thumbs down if you think it was an utter disgrace. If you're lukewarm, just flip a coin and then come back and watch the next one, maybe. And Grimes, it's been a it's been a fabulous conversation once again. Sterling work, brother. This has been the highlight of my evening, Burlock. This is very good indeed. And you've prepared a quote for us. Um, so before I run off to get uh, a last few losses in on Heroes of the <laughs> Oh, no, is it? I mean, is yeah. there really time for it? I, I like your commitment to the cause. Um, if there's a slight chance I can even out my win-loss ratio, then I'll take it. Um, okay. So as I prepare to do good. that, please regale our um, remaining viewers or listeners yeah. who are still with us with yeah. the finest quote that you've come up with this week. This is the Primarch of the Iron Warriors Space Marine Legion, Perturabo. Um, and this is, for any of you in the know about such things, this is a quote from him um, before his fall to chaos and all that sort of business. At this point, he was just a, just a, a good, sturdy, loyal bod. He was always a bit of an unusual one. Give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum upon which to place it, and I shall move the world. You've been listening to The Preamble. Find us on YouTube, Spotify, and many other podcast platforms. And if you want to contact us, just send an email to thepreamble at gmail.com or find us at The Preamble on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Your hosts were Brumsworth and Burlock, brought to you by RobesGaming.com. Special thanks to our contributors, our spotlight artist, and of course, to all of you. See you next time. Bye.